the Knowledge from the Couch podcast. It's fun. It's interesting. It's weird. It's whatever you want it to be. Thanks for listening. happening welcome to the knowledge from the couch podcast i'm kyle still your host lucky number 13 we made it to i guess an episode of significance when it comes to a number i don't know either way today we have a very interesting episode coming up but before we do that let's just talk a little bit about my life in general now before i recorded this podcast i really didn't know if i was going to even have time to do so or if I was even going to have the motivation to do so. There's a lot of stuff going on in my life currently that's not the coolest ever, and it's a bit stressful, and it's a bit, you know, here and there, or whatever. But nobody wants to hear the specific. It's fine. If, if you know me, you know what's what's happening. And if you don't, that that's fine. You don't need to hear that because you came, you came to this podcast to hear a fun story, not to hear about my dumb life. Now... I could always do a bonus episode on my dumb life if we ever felt like it, but we're not going to do that at the moment for this episode. Um, but yeah, anyhow, I, I really didn't know if I was going to have time. I, I very much hovered over the group and hovered over my Facebook and just kind of thought to myself, well, you know, I got a lot of stuff going on, you know, not only life-wise, but school-wise. I still have to finish up my my capstone project to present next week in front of people and while it's easy to do a podcast, uh, it's a little harder to present in front of people, even if I'm only presenting for about 15 or so minutes, and usually do a podcast for half an hour to 45 minutes, it's still, you know, presenting and being professional, and, and if you've ever heard this podcast before, we're not terribly professional. It does okay, but we're definitely not in that professional loop, really. It's just casual. It's it's all good. We're just talking about stuff. You know, and, I, and like I said, I was hovering over my thing going, I don't know if I'm going to if I'm going to do this or not. I'm not sure if I'm going to have time. And, you know, maybe I just shouldn't. Maybe this week will finally be the week where I just give up and say, hey, this is a week off. You know, we'll call it a day for this week and then we'll come back next week strong. But then I found a story or a guy, I should say, that I felt like I could do a really quick podcast about something that wouldn't take me more than an hour and a half, maybe two hours tops from top to bottom to record and edit and everything and, you know, get it out to everybody, something to listen to, uh, you know, listenership in the holiday season, this goes for all podcasts, not just mine, is definitely down during, it, it happens every single year, if you list, if you're an, a, a podcast aficionado and you listen to a lot of other shows besides this one, which I strongly encourage you to do because if you think this is the best podcast and oh boy, Oh boy, you have an open world to discover of actual good shows. Um, 
that I encourage you very much to go listen to. The world of podcasting is amazing. There's so much good stuff out there, so much good content and stuff to learn and listen to. I very much encourage you to do that. But on the other point, every year, what the podcast I listen to at least, and I, I very much assume that this is is a is a platform-wide sort of phenomenon, during the holidays, pretty much after Thanksgiving, pretty much all the way through the new year, podcast listenership, just like ratings on TV and stuff like that, goes down. And I've seen it after my Hedy Lamar episode, episode 10, which is my most downloaded episode ever. And I thought, man, that was awesome. My last two episodes haven't done nearly as well, even though, in my opinion, my last week's episode, The Canyon of Charles Sumner, episode 12, go back and take a listen real quick, was my favorite episode to do. And I think, honestly, the best episode I've ever done. That one came so naturally to me. It was such a fun story to tell. I really felt in my element doing that. And... You know, it's 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 not for not for not trying. You do good work. Sometimes people don't listen. That is just the way it is. This is not me complaining about that in any way. But that's just the holidays. So I kind of figured to myself, oh, maybe I just won't do an episode. Nobody's listening anyway. You know, we'll get back to whatever. But I found a fun story. I found a fun guy who embodies the spirit of lucky number 13. And we're going to talk about him today. His name is... Stephen J. Russell. If you've never heard of this guy, that's okay. He's not really super well-known, but his story is really fun and interesting. He is a type of guy who you're going to think of in, in sort of the catch-me-if-you-can sort of way. A guy who who probably suffered or suffers from like an antisocial you know, personality disorder, a borderline personality disorder. He is definitely one of these type of guys, but he's got a really interesting story to him. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Stephen J. Russell, episode 13, Knowledge on the Couch podcast. Let's get into it. Stephen J. Russell. This is going to be a short podcast because we're just going to run through how crazy this dude's life is. But if you're curious, we'll just, spoiler alert, for the end of the episode, there was a movie made after this guy, after his story. Because you always hear a story and go, oh, hey, that should be a movie. That should be a movie. This became a movie. That movie was called... I Love You, Philip Morris, starring Jim Carrey and Ewan McGregor, playing the two characters, one of whom was Stephen J. Russell, the other being his boyfriend at the time. So if you're curious, you can skip my very short commentary and we'll watch a much longer movie, but probably a far more entertaining one about this fellow. But let's let's talk real quick. Who, who is this dude? Who is Stephen J. Russell? Why should I care about Stephen J. Russell? What's his deal? Well... He's, to me, when I first saw this story and wanted to cover it, uh, he reminded me a lot of the guy from Catch Me If You Can, whose name escapes me at the moment, and I'm very, 
unlikely to edit in a name to remember. Um, maybe by the outro, it'll pop into my head. But I always was enamored with the story of that guy and with that movie. I thought Catch Me If You Can was an amazing movie. And it was it was a, a really interesting look into the mind of someone who is probably a little bit borderline personality disorder. Somebody who really doesn't care all that much about, A, getting into trouble that's going to land them in prison, and B, getting out of prison or doing whatever they need to do to get out of, of custody. And when I read this story, this guy reminded me a lot of of that of you know Leonardo DiCaprio's um, portrayal of that character in the movie. So Stephen J. Russell, he was born in 1957. That is, if you believe everything he says. But apparently, according to some birth certificate that may or may not be forged, this fellow was born in 1957. So he's a relatively young guy. Um, and nothing really crazily happened to him in the first portion of his life. Um, one thing you have to know about him is he was a homosexual man. So in most of his endeavors in, involve him trying to go out and see his significant others at the time for various things. It was kind of a weird motivator for him. He wanted to go see the people he was in love with and he uses insane amount of intelligence to get out of it. So how does this all relate to anything? So he first goes to prison, going to Harris County Jail, because he decided that he was going to try a little bit of insurance fraud. He was going to fake a quote-unquote slip and fall, hoping for a payday. So he was going to try to do something where he gets hurt, cashes in on some sort of insurance policy, and do 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 Well, detectives uncovered his ruse very quickly, and he was sent to prison, con- convicted of fraud, and six months was his sentence. Even though six months isn't really a long amount of time, for Russell, this is far too long. So, being the just, you know, guy he is, he decided he was going to escape. Now, he didn't want to just escape for escaping's sake, although I'm sure that's part of it. His motivation was that his boyfriend at the time was dying of AIDS. Okay? This was, you know, this was in the the early 1990s. The uh, HIV and AIDS epidemic was, was huge news. It was a big deal during this time. A lot more rampant probably than you see it these days, or at least less well-controlled. So he wants to see his boyfriend who is dying of AIDS and will probably pass away very quickly. So he decides that he's going to just bust out of this place. Russell goes and grabs some random street clothes, which I don't know where you find street clothes randomly in a prison. But he finds them, impersonates a prison guard, and then just walks out. Straight up walks out of the prison. No problem. Whatever. Just, hi, I'm wearing street clothes. I guess no one recognizes me here anymore, even though, hey, I was just here not very long. And about four weeks into a sentence, you know, a good month, he says, ah, it's good enough for me. And decides to waltz on out of that prison. No problem. To go see his boyfriend who is dying from AIDS. Now, he, he was under such a rush when he was leaving. He had no idea that he was actually going to get away with it. But apparently, when they 
interviewed guards and, and talked to them about the incident afterwards, the guards thought he was an undercover police officer. So, you know, there you go. I guess this disheveled-looking weirdo who's just hanging out in the prison, in the prison, decides he wants to leave the prison, and we're just going to let him go because whatever. This is what we do now. And so at this point, this is his first escape from prison. Mind you, we have to label them number-wise because, spoiler alert, this is going to happen again, but this is his first escape from prison. Throws some street clothes on, bust out of there. He then meets up with Jim Kempel, who is his boyfriend at the time, the aforementioned boyfriend who is who is dying, and they abscond to Mexico City where they feel like they can just kind of live out what they were going to do. They do that. They're hanging out for a few years. Da-da-da. Everything is going well. And then Stephen J. Russell is recaptured, unfortunately, because he's obviously on the run with a warrant. He's recaptured, unfortunately, and sent back to prison. His boyfriend, Jim Kempel, then passes away three weeks later, unfortunately, from the AIDS uh, virus, or the HIV virus, I should say, which had turned to AIDS. Now, he's in prison. Now, he's, he's this is his second stay in prison. He had only had originally a six month sentence to stay in prison, escapes after a month, is then recaptured a few years later, and then meets a guy in prison by the name of Philip Morris. Like I said off the top of the show, Phil I Love You Philip Morris is the name of the movie that, you know, is made on this guy's life. So if you'd like to go see that, go for it. He meets a guy in prison, a fellow inmate named Philip Morris, who he falls madly and utterly in love with. They actually both serve out the sentences that they were put into. They both get out of prison, and they decide that they want to start their own life together. Now, I didn't mention this before, but the the life of crime that Stephen J. Russell sort of found himself into is because before all this happened, before his six-month prison sentence for insurance fraud, he actually was an executive for a company. Unfortunately from that company he was fired for being homosexual so this is the time where that was still a thing that really went on and people will argue and i would probably agree with them that that sort of thing still goes on especially in you know at will or you know right to work type of states but anyhow this was a blatant just hey you're a gay guy we don't want you working here you're fired he tried to find a way to make work happen make money happen Ends up going to prison, escapes, hangs out, goes back to prison, meets Philip Morris, and they both kind of hang out in prison and and serve out their terms, and then they leave. So once they get out of prison, they they want to go, they want to go live life the way they think they should live. And Russell especially wants to provide Philip Morris with this luxurious lifestyle. He wants him to live in the lap. Of luxury, so Russell goes and falsifies his resume because apparently he's already an experienced and extremely good con artist, and so good apparently that he was appointed chief financial officer of North American Medical Management. So he works with this company, and instead of just working like a regular job and just kind of collecting paychecks, him and Philip Morris decide to embezzle a shitload of money. Before being caught, they manage to acquire eight hundred thousand dollars over four months. So, of course. This is a crime. This is a terrible crime. It's one of them white-collar crimes. So him and Philip Morris 
get caught for this offense, and then they both go back to prison. So, so why why would they steal so much? Why why would they go in after this? Besides the fact that they could get away with it and get a lot of money, the excuse put up by Stephen was that you know having dealt with the aids. Uh, with his boyfriend uh, beforehand and how much money that cost to treat and how how it really felt like everybody was bending him over a barrel, so to speak, and just extorting as much money as possible out of him. He happened to work, obviously, as you can tell, in North American Medical Management, a company that had to do with, you know, farm and, and, and medicine and all that kind of stuff. And he got his revenge dress on and decided to bend them over a barrel and take as much of their money as he possibly could. Well, eventually, of course, he was caught and sent back to prison. But, hey, he had all kinds of money kind of stowed away, and, and it was it was what it was. So, goes to prison, goes to court, you know, before he goes to prison, and his bond, or his bail, either way you want to look at it, is set at an insane $950,000, nearly a million dollars, because Stephen J. Russell was considered a huge flight risk. As in, hey, if somebody pays his bond and gets him out before he has a court date, he is going to run, potentially leaving the country and making him very hard to to get out. A pretty good logic. Pretty good logic on the judge's part to put bail so high that nobody is going to let this guy out of here. Nobody's going to have the money. Nobody's going to put up the money to get this random guy that no one's ever heard of out of prison. Okay, well... Stephen J. Russell understood that this was the case, and he wasn't really going to have any of that shit. He was like, "Well, nope, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fix this super duper quick." So he calls the Harris County Records Office. He's in Harris County right now. That's where he is in prison under this insane bond of nearly a million dollars. He calls the Harris County Records Office, posing as the judge. So he's calling literally from prison, posing as the judge that put the bail on him. And he's actually able to convince them to lower the bail to $45,000 as if he's the judge saying, oh, I've had a change of heart. Uh, uh, Stephen J. Russell's a nice guy. Let's just lower his bail to easily $45,000 from $950,000. Well, all that money that he had stored up, he still had enough to post that much bail. So then he posts that bail. He gets out. And bada-bing, bada-boom, of course, he escapes. So that's escape number two. Posing as a judge, calls Harris County Records Office, says, hey, jam the bail down, I'm the judge, uh, I decree this. They listen to him. Three days later, the guy is on the lam again. Well, all good things must come to an end for Mr. Stephen J. Russell on this one, as he is then recaptured again. His, you know, improbable escape leads to this about week-long manhunt, you know, phone taps and all. And eventually, now he wasn't nearly as uh, skilled as at his longevity for escapes as our man from Catch Me If You Can. But he is pretty good at escaping. At least he's got that going for him. So even though, anyway, after about a week or so, he's recaptured, rearrested, and then sent back to prison. This time a much longer sentence, he is then given 45 years in prison for all the stuff he's done. Mostly, the the funny part is, when you think about it, and we'll, we'll come back to it at the very end, this guy is doing so much prison time for literally almost nothing. 
Like, he hasn't hurt anyone. He hasn't killed anyone. He hasn't sold anybody any drugs. He hasn't trafficked anything. Literally, he's done nothing but commit fraud one time and then escape prison and then just get recaptured and re-escape, and, and that just jams time up onto his sentence, which is just kind of funny because obviously he's breaking the law by escaping, and you know it's like, hey, this is your sentence. This is the the time you owe society to pay for your crimes, and he just kind of stacks it up without really ever doing anything to hurt anybody. But anyway, he goes to prison for a long time, or at least he's supposed to. This is a 45-year sentence. Now, Philip Morris, the aforementioned love of Stephen J. Russell, Philip Morris, he's also sent to prison, but for a way shorter period of time because he's really not the mastermind of the whole thing. Russell is. So Morris goes to prison, has a reasonable bail. He leaves. He's done with his prison sentence. He's good to go. Russell, obviously, doesn't want to be in prison. He must rather be with the guy that he's in love with, Philip Morris. So for a third escape now from prison, Russell decides to execute a scheme that is that is just about as wacky as any of the other schemes that he's done so far. This time around, this time around, he he spends time gathering and collecting green highlighters, green highlighters, whatever, and a selection of spare prison garments, basically white scrubs like that you would see in a hospital or anything, just kind of white scrubs and a bunch of green highlighters. He then takes those green highlighters, busts all of them up, and mixes them up into the toilet bowl in his cell. He then uses that now green water that he's made from the highlighters to dye the color of his white scrubs from white to green. After he dries them up and everything, he's got these green scrubs now. Now he's ready to execute his plan. The best part about this plan is... This plan is taking place inside of a maximum security prison, not some little dink and dunk minimum security fuckhead like he was in his first one where he could just walk out in street clothes. This is a maximum security prison with a lot of safeguards, so to speak, I guess, in place. Uh, Apparently, none of that mattered at all to Stephen J. Russell because he dyes these white scrubs green with a bunch of goddamn highlighters like he's making prison wine, like he's making toilet wine. He busts a bunch of green highlighters into a toilet, dyes these white scrubs green, puts them on, and apparently all the prison guards and all the medical staff who must not have known each other all that well at all see this guy, are convinced he's part of the medical staff there, and lets him just walk around. And he walks around until he eventually says, okay, it's time for me to go today, and escapes the prison. So there you go. He pops out, he's good to go, he's out of prison again, basically coloring his thing with highlighter, and he's out of prison now for the third time. Awesome. Pretty insane. He's on the lam again for a little while, until he's inevitably recaptured, because like we said, he's really good at escaping, not very good at staying escaped. So anyhow, he is recaptured, and now he's back in prison, back in holding, while they figure out what to do with the guy. They put him up in court, and they say, hey, we're tacking another 45 years on top of what you just had, the 45 years you did before. Stephen J. Russell, though, 
doesn't give a shit about what you think about how long he should stay in prison because he is going to spend as much time as he feels like in prison. So for his final insane scheme to try and escape, Stephen J. Russell decides, hey, I am going to I am going to pretend instead of being the doctor like I just was on my last escape where I highlighted with a bunch of highlighters my scrubs and pretend I was a doctor and walk straight out of this building. I'm going to pretend that I'm super duper sick. And he had a great backstory. So what he did was take a whole bunch of laxatives. He would hoard laxatives, hoard laxatives, find them wherever he could, hoard them, hoard them, hoard them. And then after a certain amount of time when he had a whole bunch of them, he was just abusing the shit out of them. He would take them and shit all the time. And he would do it over and over again. Really unhealthy. Extremely unhealthy. This is this is like the, uh, the farthest this guy is going to go to try to get out of prison. So he's abusing laxatives. He's losing weight like crazy. He drops a ton of weight in a really short amount of time. He does this to convince a doctor uh, uh, in the prison system that he is suffering himself from an advanced case of HIV now falling into AIDS because one of the things that happens to people who get to the stage of HIV where it becomes AIDS, where your immune system is basically completely and utterly shot and destroyed, there is a wasting syndrome. A lot of people who get to this point really sort of just kind of waste away. That is the way it starts happening. And he basically uses these laxatives to convince these doctors and on a little bit on the side, he also sort of forged his medical records a little bit to put in there that, hey, I have HIV. He doesn't have HIV. He doesn't. But he puts that in his medical record so that when the doctor sees him, looks at his past medical history and sees, oh, shit, this guy's got HIV. He's had it for this long. You know, looks up at Stephen J. Russell, sees that this guy's losing weight like crazy, looks super sick. He looks really emaciated and sickly. Oh, God, he's he's going to die. He is going to die very soon of AIDS. Okay. So because we're compassionate people, he decides to let Stephen J. Russell go to hospice care to live out the the remaining days of his life in hospice, where he would presumably be taken care of until he passed away from his AIDS. So on, and this happens in, you know, plenty in the real world too. This isn't just like a movie type thing where you go, oh, geez, you know, prisoners, you know, I never heard of that sort of thing before where they get out of prison when they're dying. It happens all the time. It happens here in Lincoln, Nebraska. I can tell you that for an absolute certain fact that that happens here. It happens everywhere. If you are a prisoner, part of your non-cruel and unusual punishment is if you are dying or if you need medical care or whatever it is in that spectrum of life, you are going to be granted it. So if somebody is is, is actively dying in the prison system, they may be sent you know, to a lower level of security type of hospice where they are able to receive compassionate care to live out the rest of their short lives. Well, Russell obviously isn't dying of AIDS. He's just, you know, popping milk and magnesia every three seconds and shit in his pants and losing weight and making it look like he's dying of AIDS. He's then sent to a hospice facility, which, of course, is extremely low security wise and decides that, hey, cool, I spent a couple days here. I'm good. I'm going to I'm out of here. So then he gets the fuck out of there and he's that's his fourth escape. 
he decides that, hey, I am going to go. I finally made it out to this hostage place. Cool. I'm going to go meet Philip Morris, and we're going to have a hell of a time. He feels at this point that, okay, I'm definitely not going to get caught again, so I need to not only leave here, go to hospice, and then escape. I need to fake my own death. So not only does he go through all of that to get to the hospice, he then forges a death certificate from the state of Texas and sends that to the Texas courts showing, hey, I'm dead. You know, Stephen J. Russell, the the notorious criminal, you know, finally succumbed to HIV and AIDS, went to hospice after um, being in prison for a while, died in hospice care, and is dead. And it's that's the end. The end. Cool. Sends that to the Texas courts, and people think that the notorious escape artist criminal Stephen J. Russell is dead, and that's the end of it. Of course, being Mr. Crying Wolf and escaping so many times and having a past history of doing what he did, you can't blame a, a few people for being extremely skeptical at the situation. So Russell thinks that he's home free. Hey, man, got out of prison, went to hospice, you know, forged a death certificate, sent that in. I was on the run. Everything was great. Everyone thinks I'm dead. I'm not dead, but everybody thinks I'm dead, so I'm officially off the grid now. Well, at this point, officials check to make sure he's actually dead, and then they find out he isn't dead because, of course, he isn't. They start the chase again to go find Mr. Stephen J. Russell, and eventually, as is the case with all his stories, unfortunately, they find him. They track him to Florida, where he has absconded to, and he was convicted again of escape, at least for now, for the last time. Russell is now serving currently this today. So when you listen to this, when you download and listen to us, Stephen J. Russell is hanging out in prison right this minute, probably plotting his fifth escape, serving a 144-year sentence, 45 years for embezzlement, 99 topped on that for the other two escapes, literally for nonviolent crimes that he just basically wanted to escape and go. And un- very unfortunately, very unfortunately, he now spends his days in solitary confinement. In my opinion, solitary confinement is is cruel and unusual punishment. And honestly, solitary confinement should only be used for people who are the absolute worst of the worst. The people who are just the biggest pieces of shit in society. You know, the the child rapists and the murderers and the awful fucking people. You know what, I don't have terrible amounts of sympathy for that particular situation. Um, Solitary confinement for that, I think I can turn a blind eye to. But for a dude like this, who seems like he's a pretty reasonable guy, just didn't want to be in prison and decided to escape, didn't hurt anybody, didn't whatever, literally spends 23 hours a day in solitary confinement. He has an hour a day for recreation and shower, and that's his life now. So I guess you could say if you're a real hard-on for crime and criminals, and the justice system, then you're going to say, yeah, he should, he deserves that. He, If he didn't want that, then he shouldn't have tried to escape so much. And I personally think, well, seems like a lot to pile on a dude who literally hasn't done anything bad to anybody except try to leave a place where you're locked up. But hey, it is what it is. That's it. It's just a fun little interesting story about a guy who escaped from prison like four times somehow, amazingly, in a really short span of time as well, and did it in a multitude of interesting ways, a very catch-me-if-you-can 
type of story about Stephen J. Russell, Mr. I shit myself so much I convinced somebody I had AIDS and I was going to die. Hooray. So now that that's all done, our little story is complete. Let's talk a little bit about a non sequitur, something unrelated, a non sequitur fact of the week. All right, so this fact of the week is going to come literally from, if you're not familiar with Snapple, oh, Snapple, this is going to come from the cap of a Snapple that I had recently, a delicious Snapple, a delicious kiwi strawberry in the new plastic bottle. There you go. Snapple doesn't sponsor me, nor will Snapple ever sponsor me, but hey, I didn't want to start Googling fun facts or whatever. I said, fuck it, I have a Snapple right in front of me. Let's look at the cap of the Snapple because there's always a fun fact on it. So, real fact, real fact is in quotes as well. So, who knows how real or whatever this fact is. Quote, real fact, unquote, number 425, kangaroos can't walk backwards. There you go. There's your non sequitur Snapple cap fact of the week. And that's the show. By the way, Frank Abagnale is the name of the guy from Catch Me If You Can. There you go. I told you I would, quote, find that out by the end of the episode, unquote. I didn't remember it. I literally just Googled it during a down period during editing and said, oh, I should throw that in there. Frank, I mean, er, er, I thought of it. I thought of it. Anyhow, this is the end of the show. You can catch this show every Friday, hopefully, the fact that I was able to pump out a fucking episode on a Friday where I'm busy as shit means that I'm still doing okay, which should be good boating news for the podcast in the future, meaning that I should be able to always bust out an episode no matter what's on my plate. You can catch it every Friday, bright and early. You'll see a post from me. You'll see a post from me on Facebook in our group, Knowledge from the Couch Podcast. Search it there. You can follow me on Twitter. At Kyle Steinhauser. You can follow me on Instagram at Kyle F. Steinhauser. And you can do all whatever you want to do. You can find this on Apple Podcasts, which is a dumbass interface now. But hey, it's there. You can find it on Stitcher. You can find it on Google Play. You can find it anywhere that podcasts can be found. Leave a like wherever you find it. Leave a review. Leave a five-star rating for five-star content. Even if it's usually not five-star content. Still, you can pretend that it is. I won't hurt my feelings in the slightest. Coming up next week, who fucking knows? I'm graduating from college next week. So when the next episode drops, it'll be on the day that I can finally say fuck you to college and be done with that shit for a little while. Hooray for that and hooray for me. But for now, you guys... That's all I got to say to you this week. I, I'm, I'm cool. I'm done. Thanks for listening to the show. I love everybody. I love all your faces. And I'm out of here. Oh, we bop and hop. And as happy as I can be. Oh, boom, boom.